You've got questions, we've got answers. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. So this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to talk about a new movie or video game or anything like that. We're not going to talk about some existing properties that I have some thoughts on. I decided to open it up and take some questions from you all um, on Facebook and Twitter to get a sense of what questions you had for me, what kind of stuff you wanted to hear me answer. And so I'm going to be going through some of those questions today. So let's dive right in. The first question that I decided to answer here is from Dustin, and he asked, how do you feel about different movie theater formats, the examples being IMAX, 3D, XD, etc.? Do you feel like it's worth the extra cost? And for me, um, a few people that know me um, and a few people that have heard me talk on on a few episodes of the podcast know that I've been swearing by the uh, Dobley Theater at AMCs that they have right now. And a big part of that for me is the superior projection quality. Uh, they're using laser projectors, so the video, the visual is nice and crisp and clear. Um, you don't have any of the muddiness of a normal projector, which is something that can really take away from a film visually. So, like a really good example of that is recently uh, when Solo came out, I saw it in Dobley uh, Dobley Theater first, and then the second time I saw it on just kind of a standard projection. And the movie was so much muddier on the standard projection. There was a lot of detail that was lost. There was a lot of, you just don't have as much contrast. Your colors aren't as rich. It it makes you feel like this is not the way that the film was intended to be seen. On top of that, Dolby Cinema has much better audio quality as you'd expect, you know, given that it's a Dolby theater and that's a big part of what they do. And that can go a long way in really increasing your enjoyment of a film. You know, all too often, if you watch a good, if you watch a film that has really good sound mixing, but on a really bad audio system, it can take away so much from that film, so much from the score, so much from the performances. You know, there's always that trouble of, wow, did you hear what that actor said or that person said and if it's not you know sometimes it's not the mixing in the film sometimes it's the theater and so being able to pay a little bit of extra money to make sure that you're getting the optimal viewing experience at least in my book is you know that's the way to go that said certain formats for me 3d is not something that i would normally pay for unless a film was initially filmed in 3d and what i mean by that is oftentimes when you're watching the credits for We'll just take a Marvel movie, for example. If you look at the credits for something like Ant-Man and the Wasp, at some point you'll see like stereoscopic 3D, you know, uh, tech or something like that. And basically what that means is the film was filmed in kind of like a standard procedure, standard digital procedure, and then it was made 3D later as opposed to being filmed in 3D with a 3D camera set up. And so for me, it just doesn't make sense to pay for a 3D film when a film was not filmed in 3D. Likewise with IMAX. If an IMAX camera was not used to film a movie, I don't really see the value of going to see it in IMAX. Once you've kind of seen enough movies, you can generally tell, but uh, you know, one of the few directors that I'm going to go see their movies in IMAX every time is probably someone like Christopher Nolan because I know he's actually using IMAX. I mean, he's using a bunch of other cameras, which is why the 
the, you know, the format changes throughout his film, which is always really kind of jarring. But, you know, because of how engrossing his films are, you tend to not necessarily notice. But, you know, for me, it sticks out a lot. It's just one of those aesthetic things that kind of gets to me. But, you know, realistically, if your theater has really good projection, really good sound, you don't really need to worry about paying for those other those other theater experiences unless it's the only way for you to kind of see the best version of the film in that theater. So the next couple of questions that I have here come from my colleague Cameron, and uh, some of these were a little bit harder to answer than others, but he wanted to know for me, what are three movies that I'm actually ashamed to admit that I enjoy? And that that's a that's a tough one because like I don't know if I would really say that I'm ashamed to admit that I enjoy anything um you know i have a tendency to enjoy really bad media really bad uh, movies and and films and sometimes it's just because like some things are just so dumb that you have to enjoy them like you know the big example that i always use is is the nutty professor so you know when i was a kid i got that movie on vhs and i loved it you know it's like one of two movies that i had or three I had I basically had the Star Wars trilogy, The Nutty Professor, and Men in Black, and though like growing up, those were my VHSs, and I watched them to death. And sure, The Nutty Professor is not the best movie. You know, it's a bunch of Eddie Murphy fart jokes, some really inappropriate humor. I probably shouldn't have been watching it as a kid, but whatever. Um, and that movie still brings me a lot of joy. So I still, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm ashamed to admit that I like it. I think it. It, it reminds me of a different time in my life and and it really takes me back it, it, it's it's always tough because you know i know there are some films that people kind of rag on i was thinking about it the other day and some of nicholas winding reffin's films might fulfill this you know movies like only god forgives and the neon demon because i think the thing is it's like while they're not great films there's this aesthetic quality to them that's really enjoyable and i find myself often wanting to go back either to rewatch scenes or to rewatch whole chunks of those films to you know kind of find myself lost in the score um there's just I, I don't know it's just it's a it's a really hard thing to place like you know they're not good movies they're not movies that i would generally recommend to people to watch but i find myself wanting to kind of engage with them you know, and the, and the same kind of thing that I would say with, um, I don't know, it's 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 just, it's, it's a tough question to ask because I think I tend to, if something's really bad, if something's really egregious, I tend to just scrub it from my mind. And so I don't, it's, you know, when I look at my DVD collection, it's not like I have a whole lot of stuff where I'm like, why do I own this? Like, you know, where is this? And there's not a whole lot of stuff where if it comes on TV and it's, you know, something awful, like, hand i will kind of continually just watch it um yeah and i guess like this isn't really like a shame thing or anything like that but uh i guess another set of movies that i would say kind of are on my list of kind of things that i guess other people would be ashamed to admit that they watch but whatever um i love godzilla movies i love kind of giant monster movies and i know you know, it's not necessarily something to be ashamed of, but 
you know, I know a lot of people can kind of look back and say like, oh, these are really cheesy. But but again, like I think they're they're a lot of fun and there's a lot of artistry that went into making those films. And, you know, even though, you know, the plots might drag on, certain things may not make sense, especially in dubbed versions, then they might be hokey as anything. I mean, anybody who's seen Mystery Science, you know, 3000 movies knows like what they've done with stuff like Gamera and, and other kind of, you know, Japanese monster properties. You know, but that stuff still brings me a lot of joy and, and I find a lot of fun in watching those. So, you know, again, not not something to be ashamed of. I, I, I don't think I'm really ashamed to enjoy any of the media that I that I watch, you know. Sure, I have stuff that I would call guilty pleasure stuff, but like I will openly talk about pretty much everything that I watch and generally I put everything that I watch out there. I mean, if anybody's following me on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, I generally post every time that I'm going to see something or I'm watching something on TV. So everything that I'm watching is out there and I don't really have any shame in kind of embracing it. So as a follow up, Cameron asks, uh, what three movies are you ashamed to admit you thought sucked? And this is this is where I think things are. Um, uh, yeah, I might get into a little bit of trouble here because I know my opinions on, you know, at least two of these are not going to be shared by a lot of people so the first movie 2001 a space odyssey and it's not to say that it isn't you know a, a masterful piece of film history i i want that to be made abundantly clear i think it's an important film i think it does a lot of stuff visually i think it does you know it's a very poetic film but you know realistically for me and, and that's that's the thing like this is all opinion based you know this isn't fact you can disagree that's the whole point of this it's a conversation where i share my thoughts and i want to hear your thoughts back but that film never spoke to me in the way that it spoke to other people um i found it incredibly droll incredibly boring and even though there, there are visual aspects to it that are really uncanny and, and really kind of haunt me and that I love, I don't think it's that good of a film. I, I really don't. And, you know, again, I know people are going to come for my head for that, but, you know, that's just the way I feel. And likewise, you know, I feel that way about E.T. the Extraterrestrial. You know, I know, again, a lot of people love E.T. Um, I don't like E.T. I I would actually say I kind of actively dislike E.T. And I, I say that from a perspective of having just watched it again with my family. It, it was just really tough to get through. You know, again, like I, I don't know if it's just like kind of what I expect out of films or, or the stories that I want to hear or what it is about it. Like I've struggled with trying to kind of figure out what it is about that film that just I just do not like but yeah like I it just it doesn't work for me it's one of those films where I know it's a classic in everybody's book and you know again like I know it's doing some things that are that change the the industry and that change the medium but like for me it just it just doesn't do it and you know to that end I would say for me, the biggest group of films that I have no problem saying sucked. And, and that's the thing, like 
I don't feel shame in this. These are my opinions. I stick by them. And I think it's important to be able to kind of embrace your opinions in this way. I don't like most movies that are nominated for Academy Awards and, you know, for, for Best Picture and things like that. Oftentimes, I feel like there are stories told from perspectives that I just cannot understand. And they are presented in a way that that feels unknowable um but also impenetrable for me and i think i think that is you know i i talk a lot about the way that the industry needs to change and that we need to embrace repre representation and inclusivity and i think those are aspects that that kind of cause this divide i you know, the number of stories where all right this is this is a person's life that looks nothing like mine you know, and I cannot get into it because there's just this barrier or the pre it's presented in such a way that I don't know, it's it, it's tough it, because especially, you know, I, I know based on a question that I'm going to answer later, that might sound very contradictory, but I think it's it's all about the tone and the feeling of those films. And, you know, oftentimes they just they just don't work for me. And largely, I would say that's kind of historical. The last few years, a number of films that I actually really enjoy have been either nominated or won, you know, the Academy Award for Best Picture. So I think it's something that's slowly changing and I'll slowly start to feel more open to. You know, and I, I'd also say, you know, and I, and I know this is going to be inflammatory as, you know, this is a media podcast. Um, I am not often the biggest fan of indie films either. Um, not to say that all indie films are terrible. I would never say something like that. But, you know, it's just an opinion of mine that I often don't find myself engrossed by those films. I don't necessarily find myself interested in them. And so, you know, again, I have no shame in saying that. It's just how I feel. If you if you love those things, if you love those types of films, you know, I'm not objectively against you or anything like that. Everybody's entitled to their own opinions. You know, I know in a lot of cases, you know, people are going to feel that I'm wrong on this stuff and that's fine, you know, and I would invite them to try to introduce me to films that might change my mind. But in my time watching films, watching movies right now, there hasn't been a whole lot that's really made me feel differently about that. And I, and I don't know, like at least on the indie spectrum, I don't know if that's just a matter of because of the lower budgets, it, it prevents these films from, you know, being of a quality that I think is, is up to standard or if it's just the stories that these indie directors are telling. And, and again, like it, it really all depends because indie means something very different than we often think it does because it's really just a threshold of the amount of money that was spent on a film. And it's not necessarily, oh, like someone made this film in their their basement or whatever. It, so, you know, I think that's like an important distinction there because it's like, yeah, you can have auteur, brilliant filmmakers making these kind of low budget, indie budget films that for me just don't work. And oftentimes some of the stuff that people might be making in their basement, might be making in their backyard does work a little bit better. So you now again, like if you have, if you have things that you think will change my mind or, or make me kind of broadly change my opinion on that, feel free to share them. I I'm always down to check out new stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess based on this podcast and based on, you know, if you know me in person, you'd have a pretty good understanding of the kinds of things that I enjoy. And if you don't, you know, definitely 
ask that question and and maybe I'll answer it. I, I'm pretty sure I've given a lot of insight into what I enjoy watching, listening to, and etc. So Cameron's last question is, what plot line do you fall for or slash gets you interested every time, no matter the genre? And I would say for me, you know, it's definitely kind of the coming of age storyline. You know, that protagonist, that main character really finding themselves discovering who they are you know it works on so many levels like whether it's a horror film like you you look at just recently even though not everybody you know not everybody is in agreement on the film i feel like it is a really good example of this where you know you start to see your central characters really come into their own come into who they are throughout the process of the film uh dope is a fantastic example for me um, something like Moonrise Kingdom or even Moonlight or Lady Bird, things where characters are discovering things about themselves, discovering things about the world around them, uh, being challenged by the world around them and kind of, again, discovering who they are or discovering who they were meant to be. Even if it's not the best version of themselves, even if it's a shell of the self that they were, even if there were things that they still need to fix or still need to fill in, those types of stories get me in every time. And, you know, I I think it's important because one of the central things that I enjoy watching or enjoy experiencing in media and entertainment and even in the people around me is growth. Uh, being able to see growth visually audibly represented is it's just fantastic it's something that's so engrossing and enveloping and anything that can really present that in a manner that's enjoyable is something that i want to watch i want to experience and i think that might be part of the reason why i still work in higher education (laughs) So I have a couple of questions from one of my former students, Zach, and what he asks are, what do you make of the recent publicity surrounding toxic fandom? Are there ways for creators to combat that via their work? Should us as audience, should should us as audiences alter our expectations as franchises adapt and expand upon pre-existing material? Uh, so I talked a little bit about this during the uh, Star Wars episode of the podcast. One, I think toxic fandom is the worst thing for any of us. Um, I think it removes value from many of these different properties uh, that we love, and it creates these kind of gatekeepers that are unnecessary. The whole purpose of a lot of this media, the whole purpose of being a fan is to have excitement for you know these different things that you supposedly love and you want to share those things with other people and you want those things to be able to grow and to expand and to bring you to new worlds and show you new things and i think that's what's getting lost in a lot of this you know you have a bunch of people that don't want things to change ever and media doesn't it shouldn't stagnate like that the world is continually and constantly changing And we as fans need to be able to adapt and change along with the world. And creators need to be allowed to adapt media to work with what's going on in the current day. You know, again, so Star Wars is that perfect example where it's like the original trilogy. Sure, it might be an allegory for the Vietnam War and 
then the prequels might be an allegory for the Gulf Wars and the current you know situation in star wars is a reflection of the u.s government and what things are going on here and the push for and against inclusivity and representation you know so there's there's a lot that we need to be okay with in terms of being able to love these properties and i think one of the things that's super challenging is that a number of these fan bases and i I don't want to make this like kind of overtly political but a lot of these fan bases are are very conservative. And I don't mean that in terms of like conservative, like Republican conservatives, though there there is that, but they're conservative in that they are not able to get away from, well, this is how it was in the original. This is how it has to be forever. You know, they act like, uh, and I was listening to a podcast the other day and the way that they described it is people look at kind of canon lore as the Bible and the Bible is unchangeable. And it's just like, that's this isn't religious text. This is entertainment. This is supposed to be fun and it should be able to change and move and adapt. You know, if we didn't if we didn't have things changing and moving and adapting, we wouldn't have some of these things that you love so much in the first place. So, what I would say to the to the question of what should creators do? I think it's important that creators call this out when they see it. That creators, you know, kind of denounce the behavior that we've been seeing and and they often do. But at the same time, it's like creators need to be able to take that stand. So I support creators who said, hey, I'm never gonna work on a Star Wars movie because the fans, one, don't deserve it. They made, you know, they made the original creator of it stop wanting to do it because it wasn't fun anymore. They've made actors who've starred in these films, you know, feel suicidal. I think taking that stance and saying, hey, if you all don't clean up, maybe you don't get any more of these. I think those are important things to do and to say. And I really hope that more directors, more production companies are able to say, hey, we know this would make us a lot of money, but until you all calm down, maybe we're not going to give you another one Um, because it's definitely not going to be what you expect, you know, and and I. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really frustrating that we even have to kind of have this conversation. And I, and I think that it, it's one of those things for me that always kind of reminds me of why I hated the designation of like nerds and geeks in the first place, because I always felt like when I, when I say gatekeepers, when I said gatekeepers earlier, like this all reminds me of stuff that I kind of experienced, you know, growing up or trying to infiltrate some of those spaces where it's just like, all right. You know, if I don't have the same amount of knowledge as these people do on this thing, well, I'm not really a fan. I'm, I'm not really as engaged with it as they are. And so my love for it isn't the same as their love for it. And it's like, that's ridiculous. And we need to kind of throw out those conceptions. You know, if you want a few more of my thoughts on this, I wrote uh, on my blog um, at lm2photo.com. On my blog, I wrote a piece on Alien Covenant back when that came out, where I talked about kind of fan reactions to the latest Ridley Scott directed Alien movie and the fact that fans are upset. This is not what fans wanted. And realistically, what I said, you know, and you can go read it. I I wrote a little bit more than this, but the basic version of it is if you don't like it, why don't you go out and fund your own production, you know, make your own movie. And of course, you know, now you have those Star Wars fanatics that are doing that now, but it's not really what I mean. Like what I meant to say was create your own thing, create your own vision, you know, have the energy 
to actually invest in making your own property. So then you can't be disappointed in anybody but yourself. You know, if you are taking these things that seriously, if you feel like you have such a better direction, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't need to rely on this pre-existing franchise or these pre-existing characters. You should be able to go out and make your vision happen. And yeah, I mean, that's just something that I, I feel like people need to do rather than just kind of sitting around and complaining that this isn't what I wanted it to be. This isn't how any of this is supposed to work or I don't like the direction that they took with this character. Screw it. Write your own story. Make your own thing. And finally, Zach asked me about Ewoks versus Porgs, um, which one I like better. And I have to say for me, it's definitely the Porgs. And I, again, I know this this might be inflammatory, and and those those ooh, those toxic Star Wars fans are going to come for me. Ooh, so scared. But realistically, I think the porgs are cuter. I mean, that's that's mostly it. Um, you know, I I also there is a very specific thing that I love in science fiction, and that's when you kind of establish worlds in a in a really real way. And since the Porgs are essentially just birds on a planet, you know, it, it's cool to be able to see how this essentially like the pigeons of this world interact with folks. Um, so, you know, yeah, I know they were mostly kind of played for comedy and played for cuteness to sell plushes, just like the Ewoks were. But I feel like for me, they're a little bit more, they work a little bit better in that role. Whereas the Ewoks were, they're not integral to the plot of Return of the Jedi. Like I'm pretty sure you can completely remove the Ewoks um, and most of the film still works. Uh, but that said, I think, I, yeah, I just think the porgs are better. I, I think they're better. I think they're cuter. I would much prefer a per porg plush than a, than an Ewok plush, but you know, that's just me. So looking at the clock, looking at the record time, I think I'm actually going to split this Q and a podcast up into a couple of parts. And so I'm going to leave it here for today. And what we'll do is I will, between kind of different episodes of the podcast, I will come back and I will drop new question and answer episodes talking about different topics. So if you have questions for me, at Larry Tron on pretty much every social network. Or if you want to email me your question, it's Larry at LM2photo.com. Again, that's Larry at LM as in Mary 2 photo.com. Um, and send me your questions and maybe I'll add them to future editions of the question and answer podcast. I might also start adding kind of question and answer sections at the end of each podcast. I haven't decided how I feel about that yet. Let me know how you feel about that. As always, this is Larry. Next week, I'm going to be talking about Luke Cage season two, Jessica Jones season two, hopefully the Punisher, as well as kind of Marvel TV in general and superhero fatigue. So tune in to the next episode of LM2 Talks. I'll see you again soon. Peace.